Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a show dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on the important education issues of the day a conversation that brings the state leaders to you, and I hope that you'll all feel free to join in on the conversation. My name is Ray Penny, and I will be your host this morning. A couple of ground rules. First, we will not be using the chat room feature on the show today. If you are interested in calling in, a few things you should know. To call in, dial 1-347-989-8904, and then press number 1 if you want to make a comment or ask a question. I have someone who is screening the callers. Her name is Christy. And she will give me the name of the caller and the question or topic that you want to address. Also, if you are on the phone line, I will ask that you turn down the volume on your computer and only listen on the phone since there will be a delay and it's a bit confusing. And finally, I will not be taking callers right away, but we'll uh, loop it into the program. So be patient. There's little argument that great teachers matter, that a great teacher can inspire students, and conversely, a poor teacher might demotivate a student and create a lost year in a student's education. What, however, makes a great teacher and how do we assess that someone is a good teacher is the question. Last fall, Governor Christie appointed the Education Effectiveness Task Force to study teacher evaluations and make recommendations to the Governor and Commissioner of Education on creating a new way to evaluate teachers based more on student achievement. The chair of the task force was the superintendent from the District of North Brunswick, Dr. Brian Zukowski. Last December, he was a guest on this show and talked about the framework the task force would follow and today he will discuss their recommendations. He said at the time that issuing the task force's report would not be the end of the conversation, but more the beginning. And in fact, in the report, they say, quote, we do not argue that this report should be the final word, but the beginning of a long-avoided conversation. So uh, he's a man of his word, and I'd like to welcome Dr. Zakowski. It's a distinct pleasure to have you back on Conversations on New Jersey Education. Thank you, Mr. Penny. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, so uh, let's get started in this long-avoided conversation because it, it, it's what, you're, what you set out was uh, to change the way we uh, evaluate teachers. But before we do that, let's get to uh, how it, the situation is now in New Jersey. Because also in that, uh, I'll read another quote. Finally, you, you say in the report, we would not argue that our plans are perfect, only that they will substantially improve the status quo. What's the status quo of teacher evaluations in New Jersey? Well, based on our research and, and talking to, speaking with many districts, uh, uh, evaluations have become a perfunctory measure as required by code uh, to visit tenured teachers at least once a year, which the majority of districts are doing. Um, and, um, and the measurement is based upon just what the teacher is doing, how the teacher organizes the class, the preparation of the teacher, and very little attention is paid to uh, assessments and student outcomes. So, um, and, and some of that might be tied to the, the tenure laws, which is another issue, but so that what you're saying is we don't spend a lot of time evaluating tenure teachers. It's once a year, and we just go kind of go through the motions, for lack of a better term. To be, we spend most of our time evaluating the, the other teachers. Right. To be fair, um, many districts 
do evaluate tenured teachers more than once. However, the time that's required for administrators, and many districts have cut back on administrators because they reduce administrative spending as required and as pushed by many of our stakeholders, and it seems to be the um, uh, answer that we reduce administrative spending. So many districts are forced to do what they can and, and focus on uh, the requirement, the minimum requirement, to get into classrooms and at least evaluate once a year those teachers are doing well or the veteran teachers and at least three times a year for the non-tenured teachers. Some districts have uh, are requiring five times for non-tenured teachers and, and some districts require more than one for uh, the tenured teachers. However, uh, many, many districts would like to stay focused on the evaluation process, but uh, their time uh, is really stretched thin within a school day because of so many other distractions that comes with being an administrator in a very active school. Hmm. I'll get back to that point, but you did mention something earlier, and I wanted to touch on it. Uh, the premise of your task force's report, or one of the premises, was to focus the evaluation of the teacher less on just what the teacher is speaking or their content knowledge and their practice, but more on the student learning that's going on in the classroom. Uh, in fact, well, I think it was one of the guiding principles, and that's a that's a shift. Uh, could you explain uh, that shift? A, that's a subtle shift. I, I think it's a shift um, that, unless you're in education, one may not notice. But the the shift is from creating a learning environment rather than a teaching environment. Good teachers and good teaching support a learning environment. So let me give it to you another way. It's not that impressive if the teacher knows everything but the students aren't learning. It's really what the students can demonstrate and what they have learned is the most important process in a learning environment. Um, so we, we find it, uh, you know, this shift has really become part of the conversation and should be reflected in evaluation system that we have to somehow capture if students are learning, students are achieving or not, or not within a classroom. Um, and I think you, you say in the report the guiding principle is the needs of the student, so that's a shift on what's going on in the, with the student. Uh, but is it just what the student learns, or it seems to be the, the other focus is the growth of that student within that classroom, the growth of the student's learning. Can you explain that? Well, let me just go back to the guiding principles. Yes, we had three guiding principles, that the needs of the students was the first and foremost important uh, principle. And secondly, that all students can, can succeed. We had to make sure that we believe that all students can, could succeed, and it all means all. And third, we believed and we said as a guiding principle the efficacy of an educator to make a difference. So we feel that, um, going back to your, uh, weaving it back into your question, that uh, yes, we had to take in consideration what the students were doing and how they were learning what was being presented to them as the most important uh, aspect within a, a learning environment. So, uh, did I answer your question? Yeah, so you're measuring the student's growth in that learning environment from that year. So if a teacher... Well, we I've recommend that. You recommend, we recommend know, that's student, true. We recommend that student growth be uh, measured in two points in time. In other words, one should, the only way you can measure actual growth is if you have two points in time. 
where they were when they entered the classroom and where they are once you assess through the period of time, a period of time being in that classroom. Um, otherwise, it wouldn't be fair uh, to try to compare, you know, uh, uh, scores on assessment, a national assessment, because they're not correlated. Uh, so we felt the best way is to measure students in their growth within uh, a certain, in our case, we recommend a decile to have students in a student growth model to measure where they are, how they are moving along within compared to peers and students within the same uh, area of uh, measurement. Now, critics of this, and there, there are some, uh, uh, state that the student performance, the data is unreliable, maybe even unfair to the teachers. How do you measure that growth uh, fairly for the teacher? Uh, well, let, let, let's just talk about that statement. Uh, there's many critics that say it's unreliable and, and um, you know, it's, it's not valid, the data. However, mm -hmm. same critics never spoke a word about the superintendents are measured now on the achievements of their students. Many of them have their goals and their contract, and they're paid accordingly. Right. And, and this conversation correct. never came up. It only came up when we said, look, the people closest to the students need to be held accountable for student learning outcomes. So it's a, it's a, a valid concern that someone would bring up, say, well, we want to make sure if we're going to be held accountable that there is some reliability and validity in the uh, measurement. Well, we we do said we do uh, mention in the report that it's not perfect. What we were trying to include an evaluation system is stu student outcomes at least 50% in such a way that it becomes part of the conversation. It becomes part of the systemic cycle within a, a good evaluation system. Um, and teachers being measured by an ineffective principal, ineffective um, administrator once a year, was that reliable and valid? I, I don't know how you would, uh, how could one ever tell? One could never tell. And, and people are saying, well, we have so many bad teachers, which I don't believe. However, if, you, if you're a teacher that is not successful, is that the teacher's fault or was that the administrator's fault because they were using an unreliable and uh, invalid system of measuring? So those people who are criticizing should really say, wait a minute, we're never going to get 100% reliability and validity to those numbers. But if it becomes part of the conversation and becomes part of the evaluation system to uh, be included, that takes in consideration what the teacher is doing, how the teacher is doing it, that it's connected to standards, it's connected to um, supports of those standards and, and artifacts to support those standards, we now have a system that we're recommending that we're asking teachers to demonstrate what they're doing and how they're doing it to make a difference in student outcomes. And now we're going to look at outcomes and see if there's any correlation. But if mm -hmm. your, your student outcomes aren't as successful as you want them to be and you're successfully doing the, the uh, you know, um, be, uh, your practices according to standards, and, and, and solid uh, standards and practices of uh, good teaching and principles, one would then have an a evaluation that would not throw them out on the street of being an ineffective teacher. One that would just show that there is a disconnect of what one's doing and how they're reaching uh, students. Um, and we understand that you need three years of data just to get to a 75% accuracy. Mm -hmm. um, 
and, and that's what we've been hearing all along. But we felt the pursuit of perfection shouldn't slow up our good work, and we need to make improvements, and we need to have the conversation include student outcomes. Um, so we felt, with as a task force, we gave the commissioner, the stakeholders, the governor, a lot of flexibility how to pursue this um, with our recommendations. There will never be a perfect system, and believe me, it's not perfect now. If, if you're an educator and you're a teacher being evaluated by someone who does not have a calibrated eye or a, a good um, background for evaluating you, you're going to get evaluated a couple times. You have no measurement of success. You have no, uh, you know, ability to, to um, change with the course of your evaluation. At least now you may be able to prove that you're making a difference in students, student outcomes, if um, you know your evaluation is uh, being done by just a principal or a, a, a supervisor, such uh, within your content area or your grade level. So we feel that it, it's a it's a valuable part of eva the evaluation system, and we understand that it won't be 100 uh, percent reliable and valid. But I don't think any data is 100 uh, percent. Now uh, we're talking with Dr. Brian Sikowski, chair of the task force Education Effectiveness Task Force for Governor Christie. Uh, if you want to call in, you dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and press the number one. If you have a question or a comment, um, so I guess your premise is that yeah, maybe it's not a perfect system. We have to work on getting better data and student achievement, but we have to improve the system we have. Uh, correct. Correct. Um, going through the report, uh, the task force realizes that some classes do not lend themselves as well to state standardized tests. How does that work? Well, we have like a different system for teachers, say in the arts or music or maybe even some social studies classes where there's not a state standardized test and teachers who have the standardized test? Well, correct. What, what the task force recommended um, was for these areas to bring stakeholders, practitioners together to develop uh, assessments that will allow them to uh, be measured and measure student uh, achievement or student outcomes. In the arts, particularly uh, music and, and um and band areas and physical education where uh, a growth model needs to be set up, but it needs to be developed by the practitioners that acceptable standards uh, that will allow you to measure, um, you know, student growth in those areas. So we, we, we made that general recommendation because we know there's a lot of work to do in that area and the state is not prepared at this time to have, they, they have assessment uh, ready or that would be applicable to those areas. Now, in, in some of the other areas, do you think the state is going to be, not forced, but uh, need to start developing more statewide assessments or testing? Well, I think that was, if indeed, remember, we were under the executive order. If indeed you're, the idea is to measure all um, teachers and the students within their classrooms, obviously one would have to develop um, more assessments relative to those areas in classrooms. Um, that's if in, if the commissioner and the governor proceed with the idea that asse assessing, uh, you know, more assessments are are is better for um, learning, and uh, that that would lend themselves to more effectively evaluating 
our teachers. There's a lot of schools of thought out there that the more you assess, the less you are able to learn and, and have opportunities to learn and teach. Uh, so some of the conditions for success would be if you're going to set up assessments, they would have to be timely. Students would need more time to execute and, and teachers would need more time to execute the curriculum and students would need more time to process. If we're constantly assessing, it, it could lead to problems within a 180-day school year. So there's bigger issues, more global issues, when one talks about assessing. And right now, the data doesn't come back in a timely manner. We put that in our report that we need to get the, the district to need to get data in a timely manner. So if we're going to use this part of the evaluation, if we're going to use it part of the diagnostic approach, which assessment should be about, giving feedback to teachers and helping students in the next year, um, it has to be done in a more timely manner. We do not get the scores back in a timely manner um, that, that is uh, helpful to us as we look to schedule students and help students and, and work with teachers. So um, there's a lot of work to be done. But again, we were reacting uh, or uh, being guided by a, a executive order that we we're trying to help the governor to get this conversation going. Well, I think the conversation is going uh, because the, the commissioner and the governor have laid out their education reform agenda, uh, and a lot of it is based, you know, tenure reform, uh, last in, first out, changes in seniority. You need to have a good evaluation system in place before you do a lot of those changes. Did you have any conversations with the commissioner and or governor uh, with the task force finding, or did the task force? Yeah, I, I, I did have the opportunity to meet with the governor. Uh, I was very impressed that he, he read all 48 pages and really understood it, and he was very grateful to the work. Um, I don't. He, he mentioned that he was happy about um, the flexibility within the uh, task force findings and recommendations, and that he would then uh, work with the commissioner and uh, to you know move forward with our recommendations to vet out. Uh, the findings and, and other recommendations that we uh, bring forward in our report. And the commissioner uh, echoes uh, similar sentiments to me as well. So I was very happy to hear that. Um, and w hopefully it will uh, take place and, and this task force, the work of my task force, uh, will certainly uh, be just a uh, important uh, initial step, as I mentioned earlier. Um. For those who uh, have listened to the show before, on April 8th, we had Earl Kim on, who was a group called Equate, which had a, some differing views, uh, particularly on measuring student growth. Um, but one of the things that I saw that both groups uh, brought up was the idea of PAR, Peer Assistance Review, um, which actually I have to tell you I, I hate when we create new acronyms in education, which we seem to do on a daily basis. But could you explain what a PAR is? Because it seemed like there yes. was a lot of agreement that this was a good idea. Yes, this um, we put in for flexibility. We, we um, the task force. When I say we, the task force uh, allowed Equate to uh, spend some time with us to give us their recommendations and to discuss some alternatives to hear what uh, their research was about because we felt it was very important. They had some. They were doing some good research with some uh, very very credible uh, educators, and um, part is being uh, utilized out in Ohio and Toledo and, and Montgomery County and Maryland where um, teachers give up tenure, but they're evaluated by a group of their peers. And mm -hmm. their, the peers take in consideration the standards of the school, the observations, and determine whether that teacher 
should be able to move forward and become, um, you know, part of the faculty and, and a, much like model like um, some universities uh, do with professors becoming full professors and tenured professors within a uh, university. Uh, what we found out was that teachers are very, very uh, tough on their peers, sometimes more tough than uh, administrators because they, uh, they are part of a good program, a good school district. They don't want to have a weak link amongst their staff, and so they're very, very um, critical and, and very uh, tough on um, some of the people that come before them. So we felt this was just another opportunity to put forward so the governor and the commissioner could take a look at it as a maybe an alternative to um, vetting out um, poor teachers, poor administrators, and recognizing the most effective teachers and allowing the, um, the, the uh, teacher's peers to be very much involved in it. Now, uh, earlier in the conversation, we, we did discuss one of the problems that we have is that in, in recent years, we've really have eliminated some administrators, and one of the jobs of administrators is, key jobs maybe, is to evaluate teachers. Uh, and help assist teachers. Would the PAR at least be fill in some of those gaps if, if we go into evaluating more teachers? Yes. That would be more for the summative at the end of the year after the um, you know teachers are being evaluated. Um, we also made recommendations as for alternative evaluators, you know, um, master teachers come going in, master uh, supervisors, uh, trying to give uh to reprioritize uh the time of uh the our current administrators because to effectively evaluate the way we're recommending one of the conditions of success that we feel has to be coordinated is the issue of time and uh giving assistance to the current administration within a school uh people it's easy to say there's too much being spent on administration as we know in New Jersey, we're one of the lowest states spending on administration as student populations go up and, and uh, teacher populations are uh, increasing. Administrative uh, uh, numbers have declined. So we're very cognizant of that, that we had to create some suggestions, alternatives that um, allow principals more time, uh, more uh, resources to uh, effectively evaluate. Good evaluation systems are going to take time. There's necessary feedback because evaluation is about diagnostic feedback. Um, we're dealing with students, so suggestions, implementation of suggestions, corrective action plans, uh, teachers giving, having time to explain uh, their thought process of creating a lesson and why based upon their, their grouping of students and the type of learners they may have that particular year, that particular mm -hmm. uh, semester. So. There's a lot that goes into it. Making widgets is a lot more uh, simplistic than um, educating children and then effectively evaluating those who are being educated. So we certainly put in the last three or four pages of our task force findings and recommendations conditions for success, and we certainly address this area as, as a suggested area to, uh, of concern. Um, just one more question on the part. Would that be... And I think, in, if I read it correctly, 
they wouldn't be part of the bargaining unit if they were in, on the par committee or whatever. However, now that, set up for exactly that that that's where um, you know it, it becomes difficult because if they're part of the same bargaining unit, many bargaining units will not have will not allow um, their members to evaluate one another. So that's that becomes a difficult. It would take a lot of uh, uh, agreements, you know, a, a tense level of agreement between the association or the collective bargaining association and the administration to make that work. Uh, we've been finding that the PAR has been uh, more visible in districts with the uh, AFT affiliation than uh, NEA affiliation for now. That's, in that's interesting. But uh, for those listening, that was a recommendation of a group who did not always agree with the task force, but did agree that this had some merit. Um, you, you talked about some the governor liked the idea of flexibility, uh, and I didn't know that until you said that, in terms of this report. I know he likes to give local people flexibility. Um, what, what, what were some of the other areas that you felt you gave some flexibility to school districts or others? Well, if you look at our, even our teacher practice, we say 50% of the evaluation tool is teacher practice. There's a classroom observation uh, tool that we ask that um, uh, you know, district to look at which tool, just as long as it's, um, it's built on certain standards. Uh, there's, we're not recommending any one model. Uh, we also um, said there's other measures of practice, collecting of artifacts, demonstration by the teacher of growth, portfolios. Um, so we're recommending some flexibility in actually the design of this uh, evaluation instrument. And then if you go to student achievement, you know, we recommend that 35% um, is state assessments. Another 10% within the 50% obviously um, would be, I'm sorry, another 5% within the 50% uh, of the instrument would be about school-wide performance measures. Everybody in it together as a collective uh, uh, force. And also there's another ability and flexibility to have other performance measures as identified by that principal that may be specific to that particular school or that particular area of concern uh, for the, the, that group of teachers. So we did not say one size fits all. We want to give, we only created a framework that allowed the commissioner and the governor uh, to work with the stakeholders to take it to the next level, start drilling down deeper. And um, they may say no, it's only 50% and it has to be all state assessments, or they say no, of the 50%, we think. You may want to um, use uh, teachers have the ability to do a portfolio assessment uh, of themselves, a reflection. One, I do not know, but I, what we did was we listed a host of um, uh, of opportunities and, and uh, suggestions for districts to consider as they, uh, you know, would create this uh, instrument or, for that matter, how the commissioner and his office would go forward and try to create uh, an instrument. So so, um, so if a district created their own observation uh, model that the DOE thought was very good, they could use it. Uh, yes. Under your, uh, and, and under your recommendations. Right, from within our recommendations. And that came from interviewing local districts. We found some wonderful uh, instruments being pursued by districts in New Jersey. Uh, and we, we, as even though we interviewed many of the state leaders from 
uh, Delaware and Tennessee, and, and we talked to the Washington, D.C. impact group, and we, we were speaking to North Carolina and their officials. We consider that uh, New Jersey, local districts, many districts are doing a, a very good job and have been pursuing uh, new evaluation systems and, and instruments and protocols and artifacts and rubrics to support those uh, practices. So we feel um, that we wanted to give the commissioner and the governor this type of flexibility uh, and hopefully if a district is doing uh, the job and students are achieving, that they would have this uh, ability to um, continue their measurement of effective uh, effectiveness within their educators. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I know with my two kids, I'll throw in some because I heard this from several teachers, and I'll have you answer it. Uh, my as my my kids were only one year apart, and they sometimes had the same teacher, and the same teacher could be very effective with one student and not quite as effective with my other child. Uh, how do you assess when teachers are good with some kids and not the other? Is that the job of the principal to uh, place them with students that are meets their style? That That's why there's, um, you know, the, one of the buzzwords going around education is about training and differentiation. We mentioned that training needs to be available. Uh, so there's um, some... Um, valuable recommendations that principals can give to their staff so there's intervention uh, you know we know one size one style will not reach all students but it's very important that uh, principals who are doing the evaluation are able to help teachers who may be excellent teachers but need a little bit of retraining in um, in differentiation of instruction to reach the varied levels of learners people don't realize how difficult it is because even within an honors class you have a uh, large, a wide continuum of, uh, of achievement and learner uh, ability of the learners within the classroom. So, um, you know, one size, one style will not fit all the learners and, and address all the uh, styles and, and, and reach to the full maximum capacity of that learner. Uh, so it's very important that teachers recognize this and principals recognize this. Uh, there's a lot of research out there. One some by Ted Hirschberg from the University of Pennsylvania, who said that uh, it, it's clear that certain teachers are more effective with others, certain groups of students. Certain teachers are just wonderful with the low-achieving mm -hmm. students and help them grow more, uh, more effectively than other teachers. And some teachers are great with the high-achieving students. So, um, you know, and he expresses maybe a fluid way of homogeneously pairing those um, type of learners with the, the expertise of that specific teacher as long as it's fluid so students are not, you know, uh, part of grouping. They're able to move along as they start achieving at a greater rate. But uh, So that's interesting theories that we considered. So we know that's an issue, and we know that uh, the trained eye of the, the evaluator is critical. Why we make recommendations to uh, have academies to help calibrate the evaluators uh, throughout the state. Under the leadership uh, many years ago of Dr. Saul Cooperman as commissioner, there were academies uh, that principals and, and administrators were uh, required to go through through and, uh, and to help really calibrate uh, that uh, critical eye of what one should be looking at f to help uh, teachers uh, maximize their effectiveness. and. Um, Differentiation would be a, 
uh, a very important area that um, principals understood, that teachers understood as a way of addressing the different type of learners and the level of learners within the classroom that they're going to be receiving. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Brian Sikowski, Chair of the Education Effectiveness Task Force. Uh, if you want to call in, one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and press 1 if, to let us know that you have a comment or a question. Well, you, your your recommendations do not only apply to teachers. You, you did go to school leadership, and uh, you spent actually a great deal of time on uh, principal evaluations and tying that in, and we're discussing that a little bit. Um, how do you? How did the task force recommend principal evaluations? Because in many people's mind, the principal might be the most important person in the building. Well, I believe that um, um, that principals. If you have a, a bad teacher, people say it may hurt students within that classroom. But if you have a bad principal, an ineffective principal, better uh, way of phrasing it, you can hurt the entire school. So we know the principal being the instructional leader of that school. It was very important that we address. Uh, principles. And let me say that in our conditions for success, we recommended that the same evaluation system should be uh, uh, placed upon superintendents as well. So as a superintendent, I wouldn't expect uh, uh, a different system of evaluating the instructional leader of the school uh, be placed upon me as the instructional leader of the district. So. Um, we felt it was very, very important that we address leadership. So we made a slight change, and rather than just create an evaluation uh, system for all school leaders, we, we mentioned that that will have to be uh, done over time because there's so many different types of school leaders, directors, supervisors, um, assistant principals, vice principals. So we said we wanted to focus on principals within our report. So we did take that liberty within the report. and. Um, Again, we felt we gave flexibility um, to the for the commissioner and the governor to take a look at uh, to tie what a principal does. Fifty percent of the evaluation would be tied um, into standards. We recommend updating and adopting the 2008 IFLIC standards, as right now we are uh, currently uh, using the 2003 IFLIC standards, and they've been updated. Uh, so we're looking. We rec that recommendation. Could you explain what that uh, with those standards that acronym is? Yes, ISLIC is Interstate Licensure Leadership Licensure. Um, okay, hold on. Let me start all over. Did we use these acronyms so long we forget what they stand for? Well, no, I, I didn't forget. I just want to make sure I, I give you the correct um, interstate. Leadership licensure. Um, um, a, oh, don't worry about it. But yeah, I'm. I can't remember now. I'm racking my brain out with these uh, with these uh, acronyms, but I'll go through that in a minute. So you recommend that we hold the principal to these state interstate standards? Correct. And would they be tied to student learning too? Well, 50% would be tied to standards and the practices that support those standards. Um, we feel that uh, principals should have uh, standards and certain practices that we could that could be measured that they're doing certain things uh, that will help them become effective. That's at least 50% of their evaluation, 
And then, of course, the other 50% would be um, tied to student outcomes, just like um, just like many of the um, just like we recommended for the uh, teachers. Uh, it should know that um, that uh, there's uh, some of the practices we say we we divide into direct and indirect. Direct being what the how the principal's hiring and what they're doing to retain good teachers, how they're, what they're doing, the steps they're taking to document poor performances. And there's also an indirect practice of creating a culture of influence, of a, a culture, an environment that is focused on learning, that's inclusive of the stakeholders. So um, we, we broke it down to 40% of effective practice, 10% uh, of uh, the evaluation would be for differential retention, uh, helping teachers get started and become effective teachers, maintaining and uh, working with the effective teachers, and also documenting the ineffective teachers in a, such a way that maybe they uh, will ask to someday to be, leave or that they were not able to cut the standard of being a teacher within the, the, the district or just as a teacher overall. And then, of course, 50% of the student, you know, student achievement, we break it up to, into that. And within that, we break it up into school-level goals. There's a percentage that uh, the principal would set school-level goals tied to performance. So once again, it's not all 50% on state assessments. So there, uh, because some districts may, schools within their districts may have a focus on student attendance, or where other schools have no problem with student attendance. So we want to, we want to give that flexibility to give certain applicable goals that uh, principals could set as a uh, necessary uh, benchmark for their particular school. Um, you and you mentioned this earlier on uh, about superintendents, and I know it's a very small mention, but a lot of people listen to this are board members. So superintendent evaluation is an important part of their job. Uh, you recommended. Kind of similar to how you, with the teachers and principal evaluations, uh, that the superintendent's evaluation is tied to their evaluation. Could you explain what you meant by that? Can you rephrase? Could you say that one more time? Well, right, on your superintendent, on the superintendent evaluations, you recommended uh, that their their evaluations are connected in part to the teacher and principal evaluations. Uh, what did you mean by that in the in report? I know it's a small portion. Well, we want um, we we think that it's there is a continuum of leadership, what the teachers are doing, what's being recommended, how the the, the superintendents work with principals, and uh, they they should not work in silos, and it should be a connection uh, that superintendents are working with principals, and principals are working with their staff, and so their recommendations of effectiveness, uh, recommending high-level people working with those people. In their systems, uh, is a part of their be part of their uh, evaluation. All right, we have a caller. Uh, we have Doug uh, from Berkeley Heights. Doug, you had a question about uh, parents in the process. Yeah, so my my question is, given that parents are such an important stakeholder in educational learning, do you think that parents have a role in the teacher evaluation system? And if so, what should it be? Well, uh, that's a good question. Doug, um, we do recommend of uh, putting out surveys of feedback 
as a as a metric to uh, be part of a, an instrument. Uh, we do make that recommendation, not only a survey of, of parents, but survey of students as well. That's, I think that uh, is valuable data that districts and principals should collect relative to teachers and, and themselves as well. Is, is that in the task force recommendation? Yes, it is. Survey. Great, thanks. Okay, I'll put you on hold, Doug. Uh, hey, Ray, I just wanted to make... Go on. Yeah, I just wanted to make mention that that uh, I felt uh, very uh, bad that I didn't give you the acronym for the ISLIC. It, it, it stands for Interstate School Leaders Licensure Consortium. I forgot about Consortium. the um, school leaders. So ISLIC for 2008, they're the standards that we want to measure. We make a recommendations to measure our, our principals against, our school leaders against, um, to set the uh, uh, you know their practice to uh, meet those type of stand those standards as set forth by the ISLIC. Uh, standards. Um, now I know you, you're a superintendent in uh, Middlesex County, and uh, you uh, work with a lot of your colleagues. Talk to a lot of colleagues. Did you get any feedback from either your superintendent colleagues or any of the other education colleagues about the task force report? Well, yeah, yeah, I received uh, uh, some feedback. Uh, many, many people, many of my colleagues, recognized it was a difficult assignment. Um, some people. Uh, were upset was a uh, they were upset that um, that I agreed to be part of it and um, that I, I think that we need to be part of the conversation and to walk away from a difficult task would only uh, you know be counterproductive so you know I, I didn't take too much offense to that and uh, people have a right to their opinion I just personally feel that um, you know that student outcomes are a very important part of evaluations. They're being used now for my evaluation, and they're being used uh, for other superintendents. I think they should be part of the conversation for all educators. Now, as part of the task force, being the chair of the task force, I was given the parameter of 50, at least 50% um, that uh, outcomes are considered within the evaluation tool. I didn't create that number. That was given to us. Um, if you read the, uh, the task force recommendation, we meet the minimum by saying 50% of the evaluation tool should uh, be comprised of student outcomes data. However, at which time the, the state can become more effective collecting data, measuring data, creating uh, instruments that are, have the data becomes more reliable and more valid, then maybe that should be increased. Um, but we have to at least try it is the Excuse job me? of educators to educate students. That is the outcome that we want. So that's the outcome right. that we should measure. Yeah, I, I was, and I was hoping as a chair that when we made these recommendations, the data we're receiving now is really useless. It's not timely. I shouldn't say useless, but it's not. It doesn't help us as much as how much time and money and expenses. I don't think we're. No, there's no educator running away from accountability. We have to be accountable. Outcomes are our accountability. Are the students learning? But we need to get the data back in a more reliable uh, and timely fashion. Um, so I'm, I was hoping as a chair, as we push this conversation, the state will continue to develop uh, their technology and ability to assess our students to move forward uh, to give us that diagnostic feedback. And then we could be held accountable for this, you know, the scores of our students as long as they're 
we can we can understand and consider the complexities of the data. Um, there's many, many um, variables that go into why students do uh, score certain ways, and uh, you know some students um, uh, have bad days, and students uh, you know coming from difficult environments. But we still need to consider all students, and we still need to consider the data, um, and how much of an impact on the evaluation uh, instrument is what we're trying to work out as a you know I think as a as a uh, organization. Uh, when I say organization, state level organization, relative to our, our teachers, our leaders, and superintendents. Well, I have to. We're coming to the end of our show. I'd like to thank you, uh, Dr. Zakowski. You were once again very informative. And people want to see the report. We do have it on school board notes in a link uh, in the March issue. Uh, our next scheduled show is May 6th and May 13th. We have two very distinct and different conversations on school funding in New Jersey and the most recent Abbott decision. I'd like to thank Dr. Zakowski for joining us, and thank you for listening. And uh, that brings us to the end. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you.